Let's pray. Guide us, O Lord, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or, a, or are asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul and Silas and Timothy have planted a church in northern Greece, in Macedonia, in the capital city of Thessalonica. And that first-generation church, that young church, has experienced affliction and death. Last week, we heard about their concerns as Pastor Jerry was preaching, their concerns about those who had died, those Christians who had died before the Lord had come back. They had heard Jesus would return, but what happens to those who had already died, who had already died? Well, Paul reassures them, there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. And those dead in Christ will be with those who are alive in Christ to greet the Lord as he comes back to consummate his kingdom. Reassurance. And then in today's text, Paul goes on with words of encouragement, once again, words of encouragement about the day of the Lord's return. But yes, that encouragement couches a warning. There's always warning whenever we hear about the day of the Lord. On that day, the Bible says that all of humanity will stand in judgment before the Lord. There will be such an accounting of deeds and thoughts that even Satan and his angels will be judged. Those who trust the mercies of Jesus' blood will be acknowledged and fully acquitted. They're set to the right hand of God to receive the glories of God's presence in heaven. 
And those who have denied God's mercies will receive the fearful but just punishment of the condemnation of their consciences. God will direct them to his left and into the eternal torments of hell, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Does the day of the Lord cause us pause and fear and sobriety? Yes, it does. So much so that Paul says, let the expectation of that day direct how you live. Let the expectation of that day change everything about how you live. But as we read, ultimately, Paul is offering them words to encouragement, words of encouragement, words to build each other up, he says. Well, I think the natural question to ask is, how could this possibly be encouraging? What does this phrase mean to you? When your father gets home. When your father comes home. What does it elicit in you? Fear? Enthusiasm? It depends totally on the context, doesn't it? Do you want to go to the park? Wait until your father gets home. Why don't you think about what you just did and wait until your father gets home? The eagerness or the fear that we might experience in ourselves has everything to do about what has just happened. What's the context of life when we hear the news, Father is coming home? Paul's point to the Thessalonians is this. When you hear about the day of the Lord, you'll either experience warning or encouragement. Your path is, ought to be directed according to that feeling. Live in expectation of the Lord's return. We're tempted to live in a different way, though. See, Paul is unpacking a prevalent thought that was in Macedonia at the time, and it's in our ethos in this culture at this time, and that is the message, live as though you had no father at all. Live as though no one was coming home. Live as if God isn't judge, you're judge. Live as if God isn't God, you're God. Live as if God isn't Lord, your Lord. No one is coming to hold us to account. No one is coming to receive us as children. This life is the one where we make the most of our days without a need to answer to anyone. Peace and safety, they say. Father coming home? God coming for judgment? We're our own parents. We're our own gods. We're our own judges. Peace and safety, the message is. So reading this passage, depending on the context of our lives, listen for the Holy Spirit's words to you, either words of encouragement or words of warning. This is how the argument goes. Paul says, beginning in verse 1, you have no need for anyone to write to you about seasons and times regarding the day of the Lord. No one knows when it will come. No one knows when. It will be like a thief in the night. But some seem to don't know, they, they don't even know that it's coming at all. They live without an expectation of judgment at all, saying peace and security. They will not escape when destruction comes. It will come sudden and inescapable like the pains of childbirth. And then in verse 4, there's a separation between two groups of people. 
those who are living their lives in the dark, preaching peace and safety, whereas we have been given the light of the knowledge of reality. They sleep with regard to the coming of the Lord. We await, awake. Their lifestyle is like careless drunkenness, he says. Ours is like sober expectation. And that's sobriety. It leads to action. We actually clothe ourselves with faith and love and the hope of salvation. We're encouraged by this news because God has destined us for salvation through Jesus Christ, and he has not destined us for wrath. So this is the argument, and there are two questions that arise that we're going to visit in turn. Two questions. What do we know about the day of the Lord? And secondly, how do we live for the day of the Lord? What do we know about the day of the Lord, and how do we live for the day of the Lord? First of all, what do we know about the day of the Lord? Paul starts out this passage like he does many other passages. You have no need for anybody to write to you about this. And then he goes ahead and writes to them about seasons and times. They already have a knowledge. And he says, this is what the day of the Lord is like. You've already heard this. It's like a thief in the night, and it'll come like the pains of childbearing. These two metaphors. And see, they already know these characteristics of the day of the Lord because it's already in Scripture. And they've heard Jesus' sermons like Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse that he gives to the disciples on the Mount of Olives. He talks about the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night. And the Old Testament prophets talking about the pains of childbearing being like the anguish of the day of the Lord. Well, let's look at these two metaphors. A thief in the night. It means unexpected. The time of the Lord's arrival cannot be predicted. Jesus, at that Olivet Discourse, says, Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was going to break in, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. God is merciful in giving us his word with so many warnings about preparedness, staying awake. Turn to me, he says. Live for me, he says. Listen to me. I am coming again. But many will be caught unawares, like having a thief break in in the night. Totally unexpected. Thief in the night, one metaphor. But secondly... Paul also expresses that the day of the Lord will come suddenly, like the pains of childbirth. This means that the day of the Lord is not only unpredictable and unexpected, it will come sudden, and when it comes, it will be inescapable. Childbirth was used as a metaphor in the Old Testament prophets, talking about the Lord's coming. Isaiah 13 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other. Their faces will be aflame. Utter helplessness. Surprise. The day of the Lord is a paralyzing event. 
Paul says elsewhere, it is so sudden that it happens in the time it takes to blink an eye in a flash at a trumpet blast. Suddenly the Lord will be here. Back to 1 Thessalonians. The language is equally striking. While people are saying peace and security, Paul says, nothing to worry about, live and let live, suddenly, unexpectedly, destruction will attack. Ruin will instantly come upon them. And like a woman suddenly caught in the wrenches of childbirth, they will not be able to avoid or escape it. When our family was in Massachusetts and Greta was pregnant with Ramona, our firstborn, we were in the hospital about a day before Ramona was to be delivered. Long birth process, bless her heart. And while we were sitting there with our nurse kind of getting things ready, we heard a woman scream from down the hall, which is the last thing you want to hear when your wife is about to bear your first child. But this was the kind of scream that I wouldn't have anticipated. It didn't sound like the normal groans of childbirth. It sounded like anguish. Her whole person directed into these cries. And our nurse apparently thought this doesn't sound like normal birth groans either because she left immediately. And my wife and I are sitting there looking at each other. And the nurse comes back within five minutes the screaming has stopped just moments after we heard it. And she said, this was this woman's fourth child, and the delivery took three minutes. In that moment, whatever she was doing, suddenly and paralyzingly, the pains of childbirth came upon her such that she could do nothing else. Sudden, inescapable. This is the seizing pain of the day of the Lord for those who do not expect it. God's judgment comes in a penetrating way so that those who have the sentiment peace and safety live and let live, they realize in a moment that that sentiment evaporates in the penetrating judgment of God's presence. His holiness comes on unexpectedly, unpredictably, and suddenly. Take warning. Wait till your father gets home. Do not be caught unawares. There are some, however, Paul says, who live in expectation of that day. They prepare for it. When it comes to sleep or awake, they're awake. When it comes to drunk or sober, they're soberly waiting for it. He says those are the children of the light, children of the day. He says, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, and here, verses 4 through 7, he's painting two broad categories. Children of light and children of darkness. Children of day and children of night. Those who are awake and those who are asleep. And by the way, last week, those who were asleep meant something else as the euphemism for those who have died in the Lord. But here, he's talking about your level of preparedness. Are you drowsy when it comes to expecting the Lord's coming. Those who are awake and those who are asleep, those who are sober and those who are drunk. Again, all four are metaphors describing a level of expectation and preparedness for the Lord's return. Light, day, awake, sober versus 
darkness, night, asleep, drunk. Notice there's only two categories of people. Paul does not say, if you have these values about your soul, then you'll live this way. And if you have this thought about the afterlife, then this will happen. He says that there are those who have been illuminated to the realities that the Lord God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will come again to consummate his kingdom. Those who are awake to those realities and those who are asleep to them. So, for the children of the day, children of the light, because we expect the Lord's return, he says that day will not come like a thief for you. It will not come like a thief. Christians are unaware as to when the Lord will return, but not unaware that he will return. We don't know the timing, but we're confident of the inevitability. The Lord is coming. So rather than preaching peace and safety, there is no God, we preach there is no peace and security if not for God. When we moved into our house last year, We were assured by the neighbors this is a really safe neighborhood. We haven't had a crime in years, peace, security. And so I'm an optimist. You better be careful when you tell an optimist that. So I never locked the doors of our car. Leave it out on the driveway, never locked it. I thought I would would offend the neighbors if they saw me locking the car. They would think that I would, you you must be breaking into my car. So I just left it unlocked all the time. And one morning I came out to find that the car door had been opened, no problem there. And the glove box was open, and all the contents of the glove box just kind of strewn all over through the van. And I was shocked. I was aghast. I had devoured this message of peace and security. Nothing like that ever happens around here. And so I was so startled and surprised. But it wasn't just that, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed as to the reality that I should have seen had I really thought about it. Greta reminds me that I don't live in reality very often. (laughs) Maybe I ought to have thought a little bit more about that, but also there was an embarrassment about having somebody rummage through our private things, this violation. Here's the difference with the Christian, though. When God breaks into our life, like a thief breaks into a car, For a Christian, they see that God is not the thief. He's actually the rightful owner. We are his possession. When God comes into this world, it's not as one who comes to violate, but he's the owner and the creator. He's coming to reorder and redirect all of creation according to his good purposes. So if God has penetrated into your life and you feel like he's reworking and renovating your heart, That's actually God redesigning the space that belongs to him. And the good news is that he has invaded your life now, not as thief, but as rightful proprietor. And he is making new things of you, such that when he comes, you will not be surprised. He's not like a thief coming in the night. So this is what we know about the day of the Lord. For some, it will be unexpected. It will catch them unawares like a thief in the night. And for them, judgment will be sudden and inescapable like the pains of labor. 
But we know that our Father is coming not like a thief, but as the creator, as the proprietor of our lives and all of his creation. Wait till your Father gets home. So, how do we live then? How do we live in preparation for the day of the Lord? We prepare for the arrival of the rightful owner of life. We wait until our Father gets home. We are awake and sober and eagerly expecting, Paul says. And he says that expectation ought to lead to action. In verse 8, Paul says, put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. The breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. It's important to realize that Paul is quoting someone here. Paul does not invent the armor of God, but he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 59. But in Isaiah, here's what's key. It's not the believer who wears the armor. It's the Lord who wears the armor. The context of Isaiah 59 is that there's no justice in the land. Everyone has blood on their hands. Justice has turned away and righteousness is far off. And so the Lord says, I will be the one to bring righteousness and justice into my land. I will wear them like a breastplate and like a helmet. I will clothe myself with the garments of vengeance and wrap myself in zeal as a cloak. For the Redeemer will come for those who turn from their transgressions. And Paul has retooled this image. See, the Lord will come, and when he comes, he comes in righteousness and justice, but there's a way that God has prepared his world for his coming. He's put you here. And you're called to take up the breastplate and the helmet of his characteristics, faith, love, hope of salvation. This is called the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And if you've spent any time in this letter, you realize Paul comes up to these virtues all the time. He's talking about faith, hope, love. Chapter one, I give thanks for you because of your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. Even as you're reading the letter, you see this outline of, wow, he speaks to them about how their faith has remained intact in the midst of affliction and they love God and love each other by the use of their sexual ethic, their bodies, and the use of their work ethic, by focusing and having diligence in their work to love each other, faith, love, and then he speaks of the second coming. Salvation comes with Jesus' coming, hope for the future. Faith, love, and hope, these are characteristics that the Thessalonians already have. They're given by the Spirit to you, and God plans to charge and affect his world through them. You're the ones who wear the armor. So consider what a morning looks like for you. When not only are you putting on your watch and your belt, you're, putting, you're brushing your teeth and preparing for the day, but how do you study and steep yourself and grow in these virtues that God has told you, this is how my world prepares for my coming? Faith, love, and hope. Hope of salvation is precisely what Paul describes next. This is our hope. God has not destined you for wrath, but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has not destined you for wrath, but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
When we put these ideas together, friends, if you're sitting there going, every day I falter with regard to faith, love, and hope. We hear these words of preparing ourselves. Could Paul be any more metaphorical and less practical? I haven't put on chain mail recently or a metal helmet. This is, I think, where the Gospels, these narratives of how Jesus interacts with his disciples get so much traction. Because as we're, here, we're hearing principles of stay awake, be, di- be vigilant in your awaiting of the Lord Jesus Christ, be sober and expectant, think about the disciples Jesus is living with. As he goes to the garden to prepare for his own crucifixion, He tells his disciples, the closest ones, Peter, James, and John, stay awake while I go off and pray. He comes back the first time to find them sleeping. He leaves again, comes back the second time, after he's awoken them, to find them sleeping a second time. And he tells them, don't you understand? Your vigilance is faltering here. The adversary is prowling around like a lion in this garden. And you are sleeping. You have no idea. See, these, the breastplate and, and helmet, these are elements of defense. It's like a soldier who should be standing guard and at attention. But Jesus, their general, keeps finding the soldiers asleep on the job. They have no diligence. Their sobriety and expectation isn't there. They fall asleep on the job. And what happens when opposition comes? Judas and the religious leaders come to take Jesus. Mark says emphatically, they fled away every one. Each one of those disciples who said, no, Lord, I'll never betray you. Every one of them fled. So when Jesus goes and dies on the cross, it's not in spite of those who fall asleep. It's actually for those who fall asleep. He's dying. He has died for our faltering when it comes to faith and love and hope. Friends, this is the hope of salvation, that it's already accomplished for us and we'll receive it in full when the Lord comes. For God did not destine us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. What does God have for his people now? What does God have for his creation now? Waiting eagerly for our redemption as children of God. It can often feel like a long and painful journey, but we cannot listen to those voices that say, peace and security, everything is smooth sailing, folks. Instead, we gird up faith and love and hope. We cry out for the consummation of our salvation, for our souls and bodies to be free from the sin that has plagued us. Faith, love, hope. Your father is coming home. Wait for it. Encourage each other and build each other up with these words. Let's pray. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's guidance in these words, O Lord, toward warning and toward encouragement. 
we pray that we would be those who grow in hope of salvation, knowing that every provision has already been made for our salvation. You have not destined us for wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. For this, we are grateful. In that gratitude, we offer our lives to you, not the thief, but the rightful possessor of ourselves, that we would grow in faith and love and hope. Amen.